Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Most of us are hiding something about ourselves. It is exhausting and lonely, and it leads to burnout. So how do we start to unhide so that we find freedom so that we can thrive, especially in the workplace? And that is where I spend my time talking about this idea of unhiding, because again, most of us are hiding something. Fried, the burnout podcast. I will never forget the first time I heard Ruth speak. Ruth Rathla is an expert on inclusion and diversity. She's a TEDx and inspirational speaker, best-selling author, and an award-winning former nonprofit leader. She was born with a limb difference and speaks with leaders on issues of equity and belonging, the gifts of being unique, and the freedom of accepting your differences. Ruth was profiled as a CEO in the New York Times Corner Office and received Goucher College's Excellence in Public Service Award, among other awards for her outstanding leadership in the nonprofit sector. She has spent her entire career focused on providing opportunities for those who have been underrepresented. She serves as a board member of the Lucky Finn Project. The first time I heard Ruth speak, I cried like six times. The first time I really saw you perform a speak, so Ruth and I are both members of the National Speakers Organization, National Speakers Association of New York City. And so I had seen you speak to people here and there and maybe a two-minute thing in front of the room, the small stuff. But I went to your book release party in New York City, and you were telling some of your stories, and you were talking about the both the pain of hiding and the pain of unhiding. Mm. And there's so much, and you could feel it in the room, there's so much resonance because, like you said, everybody has something that they're masking, hiding, not showing, covering in some way, shape, or form. So I can't wait to dig into that. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to share part of your burnout story, and then we'll use that to dive into your book and Unhiding. And for my fried fam, today I want your focus to be on curiosity, openness, and lack of self-judgment. I want you to be able to come to this conversation with a sense of discovery, that you can find something out about yourself today that could literally change the trajectory of your burnout recovery. And I do think it's actually that important. So I want you to come to this with that kind of energy. So Ruth, I'm going to sit back, let you share your burnout story, and then we'll take it from there. Excellent. And I, my burnout story is a long time ago when I didn't even know there was a term of burnout, right? Mm -hmm. Probably like most of us. I was 20 years old. I was, I landed this coveted summer internship at a New York City law firm, and I was so excited. I got to the law firm. They gave me a special project to work on. It was putting together a presentation on why laundry detergent box top deserved a patent. And Kate, that may sound really super boring to you and maybe to some of your fried family, but it was my project. I was this overachieving, overcompensating 20-year-old who just wanted to do well and excel. And so about three weeks into that internship, the senior partner on the case called me into his office. And 
none of the other interns got called into the senior partner's office. So I was special. I was taking it as this is an opportunity to get ahead. And I got to his office and he didn't ask me to sit down. And instead he yelled at me and he said, Ruth, did you ever go to kindergarten? And now I'm in college. So I went to kindergarten. I just at that moment couldn't even remember my kindergarten teacher's name. And I went blank. He said, because if you had, you would have learned how to use scissors. And what I was trying to do was I was hiding. I was deep in hiding. I was born with a limb difference. I was trying to do the projects of cutting out these various box top competitors and the box tops that I had with one hand. And if you've ever tried to, even when we're all wrapping gifts for people, if you've ever tried to cut just even a roll of wrapping paper, it's not always straight. It's not always easy. If you try to do it with one hand, it's even harder. The paper was moving around. The pieces looked jagged. So I saw my project on his desk and he was right to ask about the quality. He could have done it in a different way. And there was no way I was going to tell him after that interaction what was going on. He didn't know about my limb difference. HR didn't know about my limb difference. My fellow interns didn't know about my hand. Instead, what I did was I overcompensated and I figured things out. I was innovative. I used huge law books to hold down the pieces of paper so I could cut it cleaner and they would stay in place. I found this nasty, dirty file cabinet room down in the basement where they had sometimes sent me to get files and nobody would ever be down there. So I would stay down there and get some work done so nobody would see my hand. And I would even stay later because I realized people would leave at 5, 5.30. And if I stayed later and missed out on the happy hours and the after work events, I could get the job done. So I was coming in late. I was coming in early. I was constantly overachieving during that internship. And by the end, I had excelled. I figured it out. I got the job done. And I was super exhausted. And I was super lonely. I was burnt out. And I made a vow to myself at that point that I would never hide in a job again. And I really thought I hadn't. And it wasn't until I, Kate, you and I have talked, I spent my life and my career advocating on behalf of young people, providing them opportunities, providing them mentoring, really being an advocate. And again, overcompensating as a leader, overachieving, got, getting promoted very quickly with that overachieving mentality. And yet I was burning out there too. I was creating in many ways a workplace that didn't allow for mistakes, didn't allow for challenge. I was creating that overcompensating workplace and overachieving workplace. And, and I kept people at arm's length. And that led me to really what I call my second burnout of the idea of not feeling connected to people, feeling exhaustion, feeling that loneliness, and realizing that at one point there was a conversation I had with a team and we were talking about diversity and leadership. At one point I asked this kind of naive question, which was, do you see me as diverse? And the answer back was, you're a woman. And so that gender checkbox of diversity was met. And then I asked, what about my disability? 
because I didn't think I was hiding it after that internship and that Mr. Not-So-Nice Kindergarten guy, right? Like I thought I was good. Like I wasn't hiding it in professional settings. And what I realized is when they said, we don't see you as having a disability, we don't see you as disabled, I realized I hadn't been sharing my story. And so I was still hiding. I was still overcompensating and overachieving and proving that I could. And that led me really to that second level of burnout. And as you and I have talked, burnout for me is real and it looked different at different points, like I'm sure it does with much of your audience. It, it can be exhausting and lonely as you try to climb the ladder. And it also, even in leadership, can feel exhausting and lonely when you feel disconnected. And I think what's really important about your story is that there is a physical, visible difference that people can see, couldn't see for a long time because you would put right. your, you would have put it behind clothes, put it in pockets so that people wouldn't be able to notice, right? We've talked about that quite a bit. And there's this overcompensating for, in your mind, this very obvious difference, right? This very obvious thing that puts you to the side. A lot of people who don't have a visible disability are putting parts of themselves in pockets anyway and overachieving because of these things and they think that people can see their lack of worthiness or their imperfections or their whatever it happens to be and so this idea that I am different things are harder for me so I have to try more is a super unifying idea yes and the fact of what you just pointed out too is many of us walk around thinking we're the only ones that are doing this that we are the only ones, whether it's a disability like mine, a visible disability, an invisible disability like mental health, depression, bipolar, or a neurodiversity piece of ADHD or ADHD, or and even things people are hiding to your point of walking around thinking that some if somebody finds out they're going to reject me or judge me, like their fin financial backgrounds, like their family backgrounds, like their faith, their age their marital status. People are hiding things, their voices, whether it's their accents or a stutter. People are hiding things all the time. With, and we walk around thinking we are the only ones. And if someone finds out, it's going to be the end. It's going to be the end. And that's exhausting. Oh, it's exhausting. And we all do it. That's the what I'm yeah. trying to show is I'm using my hand and my limb difference as a tool to say, hey, here's where I've been hiding. Let me be the first to go first so that you yeah. feel safe because that's what we really want is a safe place so that we don't feel like we're going to get judged or rejected so that we and, and that we feel seen and heard when we do share out what we're hiding. Yeah. And I think something that needs to be addressed is this idea of how people with disabilities want to be treated and spoken to. Right. Don't treat me any differently. And also I need accommodations, which is both true. Don't right. not notice me. Don't pretend that you don't see it. But you were working so hard to hide it that people said, I don't see you with a disability. And that so you did the work so that people wouldn't view you that way. But then when they did, it ruins your chance at connecting with them. Right. So there's this it's a very convoluted. So for people out there that are and this is me included, that sometimes feel unsure of how to talk about things. Do we talk about it? Do I pretend not to notice? What do I, how do I deal with this thing? Because this is this also helps us, I think, 
learn how to talk about the things that we can't see. And it's so multi-layered. So I'm going to back it up a little, which is we all learned. And I will say the most of a majority of us learned as children that when we and children are the best case because they are curious, right? That beauty of children is they ask questions. They're curious when something is different. They ask when something is the same. They ask they just they're filled with why. And many of us learned as children that when we ask about something, we get an answer. With disability, what happens, I've had it happen to me. I've also seen it happen around me, which is when children ask about disability, two things happen. Often kids will come up and they'll say, oh, what happened to your hand? I'll say, oh, this is the way I was born. We all have something that's different about us. What's different about you? And immediately, Kate, immediately, a parent or a guardian or someone watching that child will come over and say, I'm so sorry. You don't ask about those things. And so now we've signaled and messaged to kids two things. We've messaged that don't be curious. That's not a good thing on certain topics. Don't be curious. And secondly, probably I want to say even more important and nuanced is we don't ask about disabilities. Disability is something we don't talk about. Yeah. We were those kids that were talked to like that. Yeah. And so as adults, how do we unlearn that space? How do we start to have conversation about disability? And it is sometimes uncomfortable. How do we also, it's nuanced because how do we respect someone's boundaries around not wanting to be the teacher and not wanting to talk about it and having to learn? And so I use as my mantra, my guiding principle, the idea of, yes, curiosity is okay. And it comes with a caveat. Why are you asking? So thinking, pausing, why are you asking? Are you asking out of kindness? And are you asking out of support? And if that is the kind of magic rule and intention that we can go into it with, then it's okay because we're allowed to ask questions. We're allowed to get information. And we're also allowed to have boundaries around some of that so that people can say, I'm not comfortable talking about it. I don't want to talk about it. And letting it go. I also would add, it's important for the person asking to be comfortable sharing something about themselves and where they feel different. And that's the teaching moment, I think, for not only adults, but for kids too. I would rather, and I say to parents and guardians when they come up and they say, I'm so sorry, I say, no, use this as a teaching moment to talk about difference, to talk about disability, but that we're all different and that disability Not that you have to scare people, but disability will impact all of our lives at some point, whether we're born with it or whether we acquire a disability or if we're taking care of somebody with a disability. So getting comfortable with that concept is really important. And to have this understanding that sometimes people, like you said, are not going to want to answer you and don't want to talk about it. And that's okay. And that might be part of this process, too. I was on a panel recently about being childless by choice. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, it's nobody's business. And I don't know why anybody asks this question anyway. And I was like, I don't actually mind the question. Do you have kids is a normal, innocuous question. When I say no, I was never interested. I see people's reactions and that's on them. That's fine. And so I was a dissenting voice in that room because I'm not mad at people for asking questions or for being curious, but there are people that will be. You have to decide whether or not you're okay with asking someone a question, knowing that they may or may not be okay with it, which might mean that you have to add a caveat that says, if you're not comfortable talking about this, I'll take a step back, right? 
But there's all sorts of things that people don't want to talk about. There's all sorts of things that people don't want to be asked about. And there's all sorts of people that don't mind being asked about those very same things. So it's hard. Yeah. And people with disabilities, especially visible disabilities, it's not a secret. It's no secret. You're not surprising. It's not giving us an answer to life. We know we've had a journey with learning how to accept it and love it and be challenged by it. It's part of our lives. It's not all of our lives, but it's a part of our lives. And so, yeah, the gotcha factor or the, oh, the pity factor or the praying for me. Like I've had people, Kate, who come up and touch my hand without boundaries. They also then ask to pray for my hand. It is not going to grow like that. Time. Not people think it will. Like if I pray for it hard enough, it will. And I'm like, that's just not how this works. I will take prayers because I could always sure. a good prayer. And being respectful of people's boundaries, like it's really the golden rule. How do we want to be treated? And what are we willing to share ourselves? If we're going to go there, what are you willing to share? I've had even companies say, oh, at the end of this, your presentation's on hiding. Let's have everyone unhide. And I'm like, that is not the goal here. That's why we're doing this. It's about getting people comfortable with that hiding is a continuum. There, you hide for reasons. Sometimes you hide for self-protection. Sure. Sometimes you hide to make other people comfortable because it's easier for them. Sometimes we're wrong about that assumption too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pride fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to cyfoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. I think the kind of guiding principles are here are like, don't be a dick. Yeah. Okay. And right. Just if we're going to simplify it, don't be a dick. Come to things with kindness and support and understand that people don't necessarily have to answer you or share with you. And we're going to get into. And don't make assumptions. Don't and, and don't make assumptions from either side of the conversation. That's why, and that, I think we're in a time right now that people are so afraid to say anything or to ask anything Yeah, that we've created this space where asking questions or making assumptions is not, we can't do it. Or so we make assumptions instead of asking the question. Yeah. We don't bother with the uncomfortable question. We just dis make a decision and mm -hmm. go with it because we're so afraid of getting in trouble or saying the wrong thing. And I, what I'm trying to do is create the space that it's actually accessible like you can ask questions and it's from a, a place of good intent then it's okay 
but I'm one voice. I'm not all of the voices. Yeah. Oh, you don't speak for every disabled person in the world? No. Oh, that's, oh, I think we might have to stop. I think this is over. <laughs> no, and that's the beauty of disability and the beauty of life is that, yeah, this is one voice and one perspective. And then how do you take that information, think about it for yourself, and think about it for those that are around you? Yeah. I want to talk about the people on the plane. Yes. I want to talk about the people on the plane because the people on the plane are an incredible example of unhiding. And this is the part where I want the listeners to start thinking, okay, people that are like, I'm not hiding anything. Let me just be real honest with you guys right now. The thing I was hiding during burnout was I'm not good enough. A constant feeling that followed me everywhere in every interaction that said, you must do more, you must give more, you must be more, you must never accept anything in return. If someone buys you lunch, you must buy them dinner to make sure that you are in the higher side because you do not deserve to be. You do not deserve, you are not worthy. It was the thing that I was hiding. It was the thing that was the big portion of my burnout for a long time and is the thing that I still have to work on. And hiding this is really easy through perfectionism and people-pleasing, right? The coping mechanisms that we use to hide are typically the same coping mechanisms that we use to manage stress. So for me, they were overachieving, people-pleasing, and perfectionism. So I want you to have this in your minds because a lot, ever since I met Ruth, I've been thinking about this idea of unhiding. It's been over a year now, and I keep coming back to it because... There's so much to unpack here. So let's go to the people on the plane. Yeah. No, and I think what you just said, too, about the pop, the people pleasing, the perfectionism and the overachieving is real because I think and it shows up absolutely with it's it is it's nature. It's DNA. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm one of those people that loves to talk to people when I got on a plane, Kate. Like I sit down, I want, if we're going on a seven hour ride, I cannot believe that you sitting next to me do not at least want to say hello and just chat. My father has told me that is, he does not ever want to sit next to me on a plane. I'm the least favorite type of person. He just wants to sit back, put his headphones on, take a nap. Good. But guess what? I don't want to sit next to you either because I like to talk. And I like to find, I think people are fascinating. So I was sitting next to, just a few months ago, I was sitting next to a couple on the plane. And in my usual style, we started talking. I said, what do you do? Where are you going? Et cetera. And the, they were a couple and the guy, they were built, they're building and they have a design business, a graphic design business. And I said, that's really interesting. And they were telling me a little bit about their work. And then at one point I shared what I would do. And I said, I talk about hiding and that most of us are hiding something. And how do we learn to unhide? And immediately the guy's head dropped. And I said, is everything okay? And he said, I dropped out of high school and I never share that with anyone. And I said, why? And he said, because I'm so afraid that if someone finds out I didn't go to college, that they will think that I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have business savvy. They make assumptions about who I am and they'll judge me. And so we started talking through that a little bit. And he said, actually, when the college conversation comes up about where did you go to school, which again, to your point from before, is a natural conversation of like children, where did you go to school? He says, I just want to leave the room. I, and 
that's a piece of it. His partner then said, I actually am hiding too. She said, I have multiple scars all over my torso. And I, when I go to the beach, I don't show them. I am embarrassed about them. And it took meeting him to show me how to love my scars and how to say that they were beautiful. This was literally her language. She said, people say to me, oh, just you have such a great body. You should show it off. You should be in bikinis. You should be in your workout gear. And she said, it's not that easy for me. I need to cover it because I still hold some shame around it. And he was able to show me how to love that part of it and see that it's beautiful. But it's not as easy as, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Or you don't have to worry about you didn't go to college. You don't have to worry about your scars. You don't have to worry about your hand. People told me that a lot, Kate. It's not as easy as sometimes just starting to unhide. Like the next day, oh, I'm just going to do tomorrow. I'm just going to show my hand. Tomorrow, I'm just going to tell people I didn't go to college. Tomorrow, I'm just going to unhide those scars. It's actually, we have to unlearn some of the messages that we've taught ourselves. What do you mean when you say that? It means taking a step and then starting to identify where are those messages coming from? Where did we learn it? Where did we get it? Because sometimes they're internal voices and often they're external messages that we receive about those things that we hide. There's a reason. It didn't start overnight, but it, it compounds. It's a little bit like lying. The more that you hide, the harder it is to stop hiding. And you can truly beat yourself up over the idea of hiding. You can say, oh, because I did it to myself. I would start a new school. I went off to college. I'd start a new job. And every time I would say to myself, this is the time you're going to show up as new and you're not going to hide. And every time I kept hiding because I didn't know how to stop hiding. And it wasn't until I invited someone into my life to teach me how to unhide. And I invited them in on purpose to teach me how to unhide, to actually look at my hand, to touch my hand, to love that part of myself that I deemed unlovable for so long. To love that part of myself that I deemed unlovable for so long. <laughs> That's unlearning. That's hard. And you can't do it single-handedly. You can't do it alone. I tried for so long. <laughs> and I think that's why it's about acknowledging what you're hiding and identifying it, doing the work, whether it's through journaling, whether it's through therapy, whether it's through getting a really great coach. It's finding that space to start to identify that part and then finding just one person to invite in to share that part just like you shared the idea of what you're hiding, you shared it in a more vocal, larger group, but it's the idea of hiding you, which is you, but it's the idea of finding just one person to start to share that out with so that they can help teach you how to, so it's not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. This is a story that has come up on the podcast before, but it's probably been a couple of years or so. So when I was living in Poland... Actually, it might have been in Prague. I don't remember. But my best friend and I were at a spa. We were like a typical movie scene. We're both laying on the bed, head to foot, staring at the ceiling, talking about life. And she stopped at one point and she said, you know what? You know literally everything about me. You have actually, like when I'm at my worst, the person that my husband calls is you. Everything about me. I don't actually know anything about you. We've been best friends for seven years. I said, what are you talking about? You know everything about me. She said, no, 
Not really. I know the curated stories. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, when we were on this topic anyway, she was like, so I just feel like there's this cloak of shame that doesn't let anybody or anything in. And I was like, shame? What am I going to be ashamed? I'm a girl from Boston. Fuck off. What do I have to be ashamed about? And it that was a, about... It was a few months before I realized that I was going through burnout. And all of that came like full circle. And that was a lot of the stuff that I, that was the unworthiness. And that was the, all these things were packed in together. And this is what I did with my coach and what I did with my therapist. I had both a coach and a therapist during burnout. I say this all the time on the podcast. I am not one of those people that did it alone. And I'm going to help you do it faster and better. I did not do it alone. I don't believe in doing it alone. It's, I, I am a DIY kind of person. If I can do it by myself, I am doing it by myself. However, this was not one of those. This was not one of those times. And that is one of the things that still, in all the work that I've done, in all the years that I've done this, when I find myself hiding, the first layer that stands between me and somebody else is shame every time. And it, what it does is it disconnects us from ourselves and from others, that shame. So that we do then either put on the bravado of the curated stories or what we do is we shut down. Yeah. It can go either way and they're not necessarily mutually exclude. Exclu right. They go together. Like they, so you can put on the bravado and still shut down. But shame has a, is a big piece of hiding. I would also say fear is a big piece of hiding is mm -hmm. the idea of if someone get, knows this about me, what will they think? And I think sometimes, like you were saying about your own journey through burnout and the idea of, am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I, is this all that inner turmoil? Yeah. Pieces of it are shame and pieces of it also are fear. If someone finds out, yeah, what will they think? So I'm going to keep up this bravado. I will say that one of the things that comes with the unhiding is definitely a release of shame and it's permission for people to get to know you and a permission for people to go there. And it allows you to get to know them. I know that when my book came out, one of my friends at that book party that you referenced mm -hmm. said to my father and then said to me after, said, by you writing the book, it allowed your friends to talk about something that was off limits for a long time. And give them permission to be able to have a conversation about something that was many, in many ways, the elephant in the room, Kate. And I think most of us have that elephant in the room of something that is we, our friends know we cannot talk about that. What if right. we permission to be able to talk about it so that it wasn't so scary, so that it wasn't so shame-based? What if we yeah. went there and allowed yeah. for that? And this is what this brings me to a Brené Brown space where she says, and not everybody deserves your story. So to be choosy about the people that you are sharing with, there's I go full bravado and I dig deeper into the things that people don't like. As soon as I find out they don't like them, it's it's just like this automatic <laughs> reaction. And there's like a person that I know that dislikes the fact that I swear. And we're in a similar group of people on a frequent basis. And every time I swear, they're flinching. And so I double down <laughs> because, <laughs> and there's, there's a, there were a couple of comments made about my class level because of it. 
And this turned into a complete wall between me and this person. I officially no longer enjoy this person. There's, this is someone that lives close to me. This, I don't enjoy being with them. It's hard for me to be around them. I know that they think of me as this classless girl from the ghetto, which I have encouraged because if you're going to call me out on it, I'm going to you're going to go it. I'm going to go there. And I am a girl that grew up in poverty in the ghetto. That's actually true. Eh. But this is a place that is this is another thing we've talked about on on the podcast before. But this is a place that like that person doesn't deserve my story. That person doesn't deserve that's that piece of me. Right. And I'd be so curious. So that's where I think I'd be wondering what they're hiding. Like, right. why are they? Because when you're in a seat of judgment, you're then thinking that you're better because you're hiding something yourself. So it's almost like a one-upmanship to be like, mm. oh, I'm going to be here and looking on you. So you never find out what I'm hiding because that's, and that's the level of keeping people at arm's length. I'm going to judge you before you ever get to judge me and reject me. So I'm going to do yeah. that. I'm going to play that game first. And this might actually ring true for a lot of people in the on the podcast. Not that I'm in a lot of people that burn out do the I'm going to judge me before you can judge me. So that your judgment doesn't sting. Not only am I going to hide, but I'm going to judge what I'm hiding and I'm going to be uber aware of all the ways I'm wrong yeah. in this situation so that I can prep myself. So there's this awkward, there's this awkward sort of, I'm going to do it for you. Right. Or I guess to that same point, it's I'm going to do it and then have you help me prove it wrong. So I don't work because it's every evaluation that you get. Most people score themselves lower and then they wait for their boss to be like, oh, actually, I think you're a four, not afraid. And then we can, then I feel better about myself. I'm going to because you wait for that red pen. You wait for that negative. And we have so much. Like, why is there so much judging going on like of ourselves and others? Why is there that a thing? Like, why aren't we thinking about acceptance and kindness? That's what I don't understand. What do you think? I think that it's rooted in, there's a number of things. I don't know how long we have, but there's a number of things. I feel like it's, there's internal pressure, right? So there's judgment. There's an external pressure in terms of society and also how we were raised and even the way our education system set up, the way that our work life is set up to excel and to keep growing. And so there's a judgment piece there. Yeah, I think all this judgment though, if we got, if we let go of it, it doesn't mean you don't excel. It doesn't mean you don't push yourself. It doesn't mean you don't have bad days. Like, but what if we got rid of it and acted out of a place of kindness and support so that we all then started to excel and created that safe place? And maybe it sounds like a utopia, but what if we created a place that people felt like they could show up as their best selves and not be judged for the things that are challenging, but actually we started to value different perspectives and different experiences. Because isn't that what diversity actually really should be about is this idea of different experiences and different perspectives. And that's what creates innovation. That's what creates engagement. That's what creates valued leaders, those pieces. And I imagine it's also equation, it's an equation for lack, no burnout. Like when you start to have a place of acceptance that feels safe, 
then it's okay to have tough days. It's okay to have great days. But that's, I don't know, that's how I think about it. Belonging is such an important piece. And I think the judgment is baked into us on a cultural level because we are shown a list of things that makes you better. And so now we, we don't have to go over the privilege list, right? But the privilege list is the list of things that quote unquote makes you better. I don't actually believe this, you guys. This is just the way that the society runs. And the further you are from that list. Well, it's even how it shows up in portrayal in media. It's yeah. not you have to read a list to know or to be a doctorate in judgment. It's how we are literally bombarded with every day. Who gets to be a star? Who gets to be covered in a magazine? Who gets to be on TV? Like, how do we celebrate that if we're not looking at difference and that and recognizing that the differences are the gifts? The differences are the unique things that actually bring us together. Yeah, they're, I yeah. think right now they drive us apart because that's how it's set up. But what if they actually, we started to recognize that those are the things that bring us together? And I think in one of the things that when I'm working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, when we come to a lot of this internal judgment, I say, listen, whether you like to admit it or not, you're just as judgy on the outside as you are on the inside, which means you are walking around, throwing up a wall around you at all times deciding that people are not for you, that they're not going to support you, that they're not the right person to be a friend, that they're not whatever it happens to be, walking through the grocery store or creating new friendships. Like you just, the, if you're judging inside, you're judging outside. And I think, I don't know that the balsam for judgment is kindness and support. I think it's curiosity. Yes. But curiosity, I would just add with kindness and support, because I think we can be curious and there is, there's curious when you're driving down a, a highway and there's an accident and everybody- Curiosity runs. traffic. Yeah. Curiosity. What happened there? Oh my God. Why does her hand like that? Why is it she doing this? That's not healthy curiosity or helpful curiosity. It's healthy yeah. curiosity because we all wonder. But in our brains are actually designed for alignment and understanding that way. But I would just add on, I guess I should say, and I would just add on that it's curiosity with kindness and support because- why do we need to know? Is it helpful? And that's where I think curiosity is a gorgeous thing. Yeah. And then I wish that people grew up in more wholesome environments so that they weren't such afra so afraid of curiosity and that their brains were primed for proper human connection and that we all had secure attachment styles and all of that, which we clearly don't have. And I don't think we're going to solve on this call, but come on. To your point, I think, and to your point, I think it's about starting the conversation and not being afraid of the questions and being allowing for questions because questions to that exact point of curiosity is how we get information. It's how we get learned so that somebody isn't afraid to say, hey, Ruth, I'm wondering how I can best support you. I'm wondering if you need support rather than I'm going to make an assumption that you either can't do it or you can do it on your own and I'm not going to ask because I'm too afraid that you're going to be upset. No, it's asking out of curiosity and kindness and willing, being willing to share yourself, being vulnerable and doing the work. I think that's what you and I have in common is that space of doing the work outside, being proactive, understanding yourself, understanding what you think about your own differences, understanding what you think about others' differences. Because that's, to your whole point, Kate, so much of what we're talking about is this idea of connection, right? Because that's what it comes down to me. Yeah. 
Like, how do we connect with people? How do we create space so that we feel connected, we feel seen, we feel like we belong, we feel heard? And so when we put up those walls of judgment and not asking, it keeps us disconnected. And I can tell you firsthand that when I started getting comfortable with myself and that and allowing myself to love that part of myself, it changed the way that people connected with me exactly to what you're saying about that judging. I was judging myself and you're absolutely right. I was judging others too and putting up walls. If I can do it with one hand, you can do it with two. Right. But even and but or even that absolutely because then I was like I don't have time for the pity parties over there but (laughs) the insecurity was coming up like I was insecure and so as I started to break down those layers I started to connect with people and people started to connect with me in such interesting ways and let their guard down and share truthfully the more that I share out my story the more that people start to share their stories of challenge and discomfort with me. And that's the whole point of this podcast, right? The more stories we hear, the more likely we are to hit with a story that resonates on some level with us. And the more likely we are to then, even if you're talking in the Facebook group or if you're showing up on a a call to get coaching or if you're showing up, telling your story can be such a huge relief. And hearing stories that might be like yours is massive. But one of the questions you asked was, how can I connect with other people? And the question that came up in my body immediately, because this is the thing that's more difficult for me, not hard for me to show up for other people, not hard for me to connect with other people on the outside. How do we allow people to connect with us? How do we, and this is the unhiding. That's the work of unhiding. That's how we allow people to connect with us. You went there, you answered the question later on, but as soon as you asked it, my body just went, oh. This side, right? We allow people to connect with us by being us, by unhiding, by showing up, by being, but by being ourselves. I mean, we get down to it, but and it has. I believe that there's a a sequence, a little bit of it, because Mm. I think you have to connect with yourself first, yeah, to be able to allow for others to connect with you and be able to then connect with them. That's the space. Is that's why I created those four steps, which is the idea of acknowledging what's what you're hiding, acknowledging what's different, identifying it. The second step being inviting that person in to share it, right? Whether it's that coach or mentor. The third is starting to build out community so that you can start to feel that there you're not alone. If there is a shared experience. And I think that's the beauty of your podcast is that space to realize I'm not alone. I'm not the only one going through burnout. I'm not the only one feeling disconnected or feeling tired, or feeling X, Y, Z. So sharing, finding that community, and it's so much easier today than it was years ago because there is Google. There is a space to say, this is what I'm feeling, and then connect, and somebody else has probably felt it at some point. And then that fourth step after you've done that work is then starting to share out your story so that then you can help someone else. It becomes this loop or even a flywheel of, wow, I shared out my story and hopefully by your listeners listening today, they say, oh, I didn't realize what I was hiding. And then that helps them go through that those four steps and then share out their story to help someone else. Let's do the four steps one more time. Sure. Just so, for clarity's sake. Step yeah. number one. Acknowledge what you're hiding. 
start to do the work and think about identify that space where you felt like you had to fit in, whether it's that difference, the disability, visible or invisible, whether it's something in your background, whether it's what you pointed out of not feeling good enough when you're in that space of burnout. Second step is identifying just one person that you can talk to. And I imagine, Kate, you and I have talked about this. As people are listening, I'm sure when I say that, someone pops into their mind, right? It's whether it's that friend that you shared that bed with in Prague or Poland, we're not sure where, one of the P's, it could have been Paris, but it's that could have been. Uh, what just one person, allowing that one person in and inviting them in to start to share what you're hiding. It could be an HR manager. It could be a colleague at work. It could be a therapist just sharing that piece. The third step becomes the idea of how do you start to build out community? And the community doesn't have to be this huge group of people worldwide. It can be a few close people that have also gone through it. For me, it was finding the limb difference community, finding other people who had limb differences like mine. Kate, I spent my entire life thinking I was alone having my limb difference. Though I'd seen other people with limb differences, I was convinced I was the one that invented hiding and probably the only one that ever hid anything. That's not true. I found out. I got tested. I, other people did it too. And so it's building, and it was that shared experience that was super powerful. Whether it's in companies, I talk about the power of employee resource groups, that space, psychological psych groups, therapy groups, right? Finding that space where you feel that's the power of AA, finding out that you're not alone. The fourth step is then starting to share out your story so that it helps somebody else. And it helps you probably more because you start to give it voice and get rid of the other voices. And it becomes this loop that I tell you, when I share out my story, Kate, immediately people's shoulders go down, they exhale, and they're like, I've been hiding. And I'm like, yeah, we all are. Like, we're not alone in this. Most of us are hiding something. Yeah. And the sharing your story doesn't necessarily have to be like you said last time we talked in a very big way, it doesn't have to be on a podcast. It doesn't have to be in front of groups of people. You don't have to become a speaker. This could be sharing it with one other, another person. This can be sharing it in a small group of people. This can be sharing it with your trusted people in your community that you've already chosen. This is not about necessarily changing the world. You might want to at that point, in which case come hang out with us because this is what we do. But it doesn't have to be about that. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to write a blog about it. You don't have to write a book about it. It doesn't have to be this big thing, but it does still have to be shared. It has to be shared because it allows for, that's the, and that's when you start to see the impact. It's right. allowing someone else to see themselves in your shoes. And you're absolutely right. It does not have to be on a big stage. I met a woman recently who shared about her anxiety to a small group of people. And someone after came up and said, I know exactly how that feels. I feel anxious. And she said, I had no idea that by sharing my story, it would impact that person. And all of a sudden, they'd see themselves in me. And I'm like, that's the beauty of this thing is, and it can happen in any aspect of your life, this four steps. Like you can use this, these four steps for everything that you think about. Or if you really need to practice in, a, in an environment that has, is very low stakes, you, you could tell somebody in an airplane. A hundred percent, because then you get off. 
and (laughs) never see them again. And that's what they say. The airplane conversation was some of the most intimate because you get in and get out. You never see them again sometimes. But yeah, no, I think, yeah, if you sit next to me on an airplane, it'll be conversation cities. So careful, careful. Ruth, there are likely some people out there that are like, how do we bring her into our company? How do we get in touch with her? What do we, how do we, where's all the things Ruth? So where are all things Ruth? All things Ruth. So I have a website which is ruthrathblot.com. I did a TEDx talk, which I definitely think people, if it if this is a teaser to the conversation, it allows for that space to start to continue, or just continue to think about it. I wrote a book called Single-Handedly, Learning to Unhide and Embrace Connection. And then Kate, probably where I spend most of my time on social media is on LinkedIn. And so people can find me there and engage in that conversation And then I think Instagram is probably the other space just to get to know me a little bit better and see where I unhide and see all the things that I'm doing that aren't my quote unquote corporate self. But I work with leaders to to help them, to help their employees unhide and expand this diversity conversation so that people can unhide and thrive and belong. I am such a fan. Fried fam. I I hope that... You were able to find some things today that you think, oh, yeah, I'm probably hiding that. Yep, I'm acting in a way to make sure people don't see that about me. And I'm not saying that you should go out onto the sidewalk and start preaching about it. But it might be time to find that one trusted person. It might be time to create that one conversation where you can start your own loop of releasing this burden of hiding because hiding is heavy It's a lot to carry, and I know, I absolutely know this from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, that there are some rocks that you are carrying around that you could stand to put down. We could all lighten the load a little. As per usual, I am so grateful for you and your ears and your heart and your community. Please let us know what you're thinking in the Facebook group. You're welcome to share your story there. We are a very kind community, promise no judgment, and... Yeah, I think that wraps us up for the day. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side. Plus all the folks at Fried, the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.